welcome to the Robot Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Robot Love. My guest today is Daniel Stack, wrestling aficionado, broadcaster, and comic book fan. So that's a great combination. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about a graphic novel by a gentleman named Box Brown. The graphic novel is Andre the Giant, Life and Legend, and it documents the life and legend of Andre the Giant. For those people who aren't familiar with him, not quite sure where you live or where you grew up. Maybe young people. The young folks out there, maybe some of the uh, audience that we have who are millennials, which I love, love millennials. Um, a little bit of background to start out with. Andre the Giant was born Andre Rene Rusimov, May 19, 1946, and he was born in a town by the name of Moulin, France. The thing about Andre the Giant is, and we've spoken about this, uh, he had a pituitary condition, or was it a tumor next to his pituitary gland? Hello, hello. This is Dan, by the way. Um, yes, uh, he had uh, giantism or acromegaly acromegaly as it it's uh known in medical terms um where basically uh he had a tumor against his pituitary pituitary glands and um he would keep growing basically because of that um where most people stop uh, men let's say stop growing when they're 20 or so maybe his body would just keep growing and growing um, to the point that his bones and joints and everything couldn't sustain it, and that's how he had a lot of problems. And that's also where he got um, the kind of giant-like features, the ogre-like features, if you will, um, with the, the kind of big ears, big mouth, big teeth, big hand, like really big hands, feet, things like that, where he looked almost supernatural, if you will. Yeah, and, and kind of leads into the fact that uh, just to give you a little bit of perspective of uh, the scale of uh, Andre the Giant in relation to his, his age and, and his maturity, uh, as was recorded in both uh, the book and the documentary, by the time he was 12 years old, he was uh, a little over 6 feet and a little over 200 pounds, which is astounding. And at first, and perhaps because of the... Uh, non-proximity to Paris, they, his doctors had no idea. In fact, he claims he's only been to the doctor once or never, but his mother actually stated that she was okay with his size until it got to a certain point where she was worried. Now later, just to jump forward a little bit, there is a standard set of protocol, medical protocol and treatment to help uh, stop this process. And sometimes it's it's surgical, and sometimes it's hormonal. And when he was older, he didn't want to do that. Yeah, um, basically he uh, broke his ankle, um, and he was going to be out of wrestling for a long time. He went to see the doctor who would you know fix up his ankle, you know get him casted, whatever surgery he needed. And that's when he find kind of found out about the acromegaly and that they could address it, um, and um, possibly remove the tumor um, and it, he would have had to have you know had the surgery and taken some time off from wrestling and things like that but he never did it um, he kind of felt like that was the those are the cards that uh, by God that he was dealt in life and he you know kind of went went with it and he never really had the corrective surgery that he maybe could have had um, there's a wrestler named the Big Show um, his real name's Paul White. You know the Big Show, right? I do. Okay. This um. is the Big Show. <laughs> yes, the Big Show, not Sports Center, but uh, wrestling. Um, he used to wrestle as the Giant. Uh, he briefly wrestled as Andre the Giant's son, which was terrible. Um, luckily, it didn't last. But he had—he's a huge guy. He's like close to seven feet tall. He's been anywhere from—he's probably around three hundred pounds now, but he used to be like four fifty or five hundred. But he's huge. And um, he had a the same condition basically. Uh, and when he was a, like a teenager, excuse me, um, they uh, addressed it, and he actually had surgery and everything um, to get get it removed, the tumor removed. And you know, basically, um, he's had a much. Uh, he's probably about the age. Actually, he's probably about the age that Andre. Um, Andre died when he was like 46, and I think Big Show is probably around that age right now. So, mm -hmm. but he's 
in great shape and there's no sign that he's going to slow down anytime soon so i mean it worked out for him yeah there are a few cases uh that i can think of and you know uh i can't actually remember the name of the gentleman who was in the guinness book of world records as the tallest man robert uh wapo very good (laughs) just a little background on daniel stack he's got a semi-photographic memory of uh wrestling venues the order of wrestlers uh, apparently, the uh, frequency of uh, giantism in the United States. Yes. Um, so I digress a bit, and I want to go back to the fact that when he started to be a wrestler, because of his size and because of how, well, the nature of wrestling is to give people personas. So his first name when he was uh, a wrestler in Paris was Jean Ferret, which basically translates to giant lumberjack. And I don't know if it's the origin of the story, but it's it's definitely a parallel story to Paul Bunyan. So, minus the big blue ox. So this was uh, his first persona, and talk a little bit about personas in wrestling. I know that we've gone over this off air, but tell me a little bit more about what your take is on personas in wrestling and kind of how they add. And some people are they're cheesy, but really there there is a bit of scripted drama, which is pretty. It's pretty interesting. So, if you want to go into that a little bit, well, there's a word. There's a word for those personas, and that word is gimmick, right? So, mm-hmm. every wrestler has a gimmick. Not exactly. Um, there's there's wrestlers that are more just pure wrestlers, and there's wrestlers that have more of a cartoonish um, kind of uh, story driven character. And like the most famous gimmick would be the. Undertaker. <laughs> oh, I was waiting to see where you're gonna go with um, that. I was gonna say the Undertaker. I was also gonna say um, something like, uh, "Was it Gorgeous George?" Yeah, if you want to go back to the '50s, um, but absolutely, um, yeah. But uh, the gimmick of the giant, uh, Andre the Giant, obviously, was that he was a giant, and he eventually wrestled as just Andre the Giant. Um, later on in the starting in the 70s really um, and that was what most people knew him as but I mean his gimmick was that he was just a larger-than-life human human being which he was larger-than-life features which he had and a larger-than-life story which you know is told in uh, this book and the documentary so I mean it fit him well yeah and and one of the things that Andre the Giant was actually known for you know pretty much from the beginning of his career is that he wasn't afraid to be a journeyman wrestler. So with Andre the Giant, he started his career in Paris, which, you know, to be honest at that time, was not a huge venue for professional wrestling. Made his way to Quebec, was able to keep that particular name because obviously it's in French. Uh, Made his way down to the regional circuits. And briefly, can you just tell a little bit about what the regional wrestling circuits were? 50s, 60s, even the 70s? Yeah, so basically, I mean, he started out in France, like I think we mentioned before. Um, He trained there, um, and then he eventually went to Montreal, you know, and they speak French there, obviously, and Andre at that point spoke just French, basically. But um, eventually he got to wrestle in Japan uh, after, I'm sorry, wrestling in Canada for a little bit. And Japan has always been kind of a hotbed of professional wrestling. in the 70s, it was a guy named Antonio Inoki who wrestled, uh, excuse me, who wrestled uh, Muhammad Ali. He's also in the movie um, Bad, New Bear, Bad News Bears Go to Japan, if you've ever seen it. Fortunately, I haven't, but maybe I'm, I'm missing something. You're not. That's terrible. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Bad News Bears is a great movie. You can skip uh, Breaking and Training and... Uh, Bad News Bears Go to Japan. Did um, I also mention that you have a photographic memory, you and your siblings, of the worst <laughs> movies in the 80s? And have actually These were like the 70s, uh, I think, which is weird because I've seen them all, but they used to be on all the time, and I used to watch them all the time. But Antonio Inoki is in that movie. Um, but anyhow, I mean, yeah, Japan is huge with wrestling, and he was a big feat, big attraction there, big star, just because of the way he looked. He was... Um, Asian people are generally um, stature wise a little bit smaller um, so I mean it was uh, it was a big a big thing to see a giant wrestler like that um, yeah and then eventually uh, hooked up with Vince McMahon senior and that's when 
Um, he started wrestling in the Northeast, New York, things like that, and then he kind of started wrestling all over the different territories because Vince McMahon would rent him out. Yeah, basically, and, and that's another thing, the business side of wrestling, and I know you and I off-air were talking a little bit about kind of the genius of Vince McMahon Sr. because of the fact that uh, these regional wrestling organizations, uh, this was before the consolidation of wrestling in general in the United States, but these regional wrestling organizations would have a feature like Andre the Giant, and you know, typically they'd have someone called a heel, correct? Someone who was uh, the bad guy. But they would be featured in a region, and then they wouldn't come back for a year. And so they would spend time in these different regions, and when these leagues were consolidated, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was um, Senior who did that, correct? He created the first um, organized nationwide wrestling association. That's Junior, really, because um, it was more um, when uh, Vince McMahon Senior was around, um, it was more of a territorial system. Um, uh-huh. in the New York was um, the WWWF, the Worldwide Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Later, the redundant W. <laughs> yeah, the extra <laughs> W. Later, the WWF, World uh, Wrestling Federation, and then eventually WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. So it's gone through a few name changes, but. Um, the WWF back in the day, or WWWF, was New York. Like that's what you would call it. Um, their headquarters are for a long time have actually been in Connecticut, but it's just it's close to New York. They call it New York. A lot of sports franchises, um, as far as entertainment, is in Connecticut. Are, yeah. are in Connecticut. Yeah, like, uh, sports uh, and different things like that. The Jerry Springer Show, for instance. But so get, you know. <laughs> used to be in Chicago, but uh, <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, yeah, I mean. And, and Vince McMahon Sr. at the time would actually rent, uh, sort of rent Andre out almost to different territories. And he would go to Florida and wrestle and Georgia and things like that. He did a lot of tag matches. He did a lot of stuff with, say, like someone like Dusty Rhodes, who was a big star in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, famous wrestler. And, um, yeah, he, he, was, he was a huge star by the time the 80s came around. And that's when it, it really expanded... Um, sort of nationally and globally with Vince McMahon Jr. when he took over the company. Uh, Vince McMahon Sr. died in 1983, uh, and Vince McMahon Jr. eventually expanded the company, you know, and started buying out territories and things like that, if that makes sense. And then that's when wrestling became sort of a global phenomenon, if you will. And subsequently, the grandson uh, of Vince McMahon Sr. is in the business as well, right? Shane O'Mac, yeah, Shane McMahon is uh, a res- uh, he's wrestled, he's the promoter, he's done different things, he took some time away from wrestling and he kind of got back into it in the last couple of years, so um, yeah, he's a good dude, he's in the documentary, the HBO documentary, um, but he, you know, will continue the business, it's really more Vince McMahon's daughter now, uh, Stephanie, um, uh, and Triple H is her husband. Paul Levesque is his real name. Um, but Vince McMahon's um, son-in-law. I'm getting. I'm going, getting all over the place here. But basically, they're kind of the um, uh, heir to sort of run the business going forward. It's kind of a dynasty in entertainment in general, not just in wrestling. Yeah, it's kind of like the Oakland Raiders or something. Yeah, that's that's a totally separate podcast. I've got a lot to say about the Oakland Raiders. By the way, we're broadcasting live from Denver. <laughs> if you couldn't tell with the the uh, comments about the Oakland Raiders, but I'll I'll uh, leave that alone. So I wanted to talk a little bit briefly about the fact that Andre the Giant and um, characters like Hulk Hogan uh, made that leap from local television. Uh, in fact, my father and I used to watch wrestling when it was regionalized and um yeah it was bad and in the, docu- <laughs> in, the, in the documentary they talk a little bit about some of these um very poorly produced wrestling regions on uh local television had paintings and cutouts of, yeah. of audience members yeah. as opposed to actual audience members and i think that uh Vince McMahon Sr. was one of the first people that um, would get people to be in the stands, and New York was kind of the most dominant uh, venue for wrestling at that time, the more dominant region, and he knew how to do it 
in the correct way. If you don't seem like you're representing a legitimate sport with actual fans, it's pretty difficult to actually convince people to go or, or to watch on television. That being so, Dan, let me ask you this question. Uh, there seems to be quite a bit of difference between the old school, quote unquote, uh, wrestlers with uh, storylines and and characters and different uh, dramatic sequences within the actual venue. Uh, how does that differ, compare, contrast with the uh, current level of quality entertainment? Um, kind of how wrestling now has become its own dramatic. Um, thing on television so uh, you may prefer one or the other can you compare and contrast the two from the past and from now modern wrestling as far as um, from a character building vehicle yeah um, I think wrestling now uh, more so than ever in ring is great um, the actual matches and the actual telling a story in a match sometimes is is fantastic not just in the WWE, but all over the world and Japan and other uh, sort of independent promotions that have started up and things like that. Um, like independent wrestling is like really hot right now and smaller companies are really popular and everything. However, um, the storyline builds, especially in the WWE, aren't always as good. Um, they struggle with long time, long term uh, story building. Um, if you go back to like the 70s, like we talked about with the sort of territorial system, a lot of those uh, matches and those feuds and rivalries culminated with like a loser leaves town match, right? So, Which they would both leave town. Well, um, <laughs> the, guy that, the, the guy that lost would, it was supposed to be like a career match, loser leaves town. So like it was Dusty Rhodes or Terry, Fu Terry Funk or somebody like that. Um, Dory Funk Jr. Um, they would uh, lose a match, and then they would kind of leave the territory, basically, and they would build up to that, and they would do hair versus mask matches. You know, um, you know, hair like the loser has to get his head shaved, things like that. That's all like old school wrestling. You kind of build up to. Mm -hmm. If you go to the eighties, even like the story of um, Macho Man randy savage and hulk hogan splitting up was told over a year right mm -hmm. so uh savage won the the title at wrestlemania 4 and then a year later at wrestlemania 5 he wrestled hulk hogan and the seeds were that were planted early on and they had that plan for a year uh nowadays uh the storylines are sometimes they're good but a lot of times they just don't uh put the depth and the arc and kind of the build into them that they used to um, occasionally you have some really good ones, but uh, that's probably a part of wrestling that's lacking nowadays, where you had more of a long-term build back then. I know off-air we talked a little bit about some of the, the characters in modern wrestling, and uh, inevitably we talked about... Uh, the Undertaker? Correct! <laughs> if, uh, you know, uh, the lack of visual, I'm pointing to Dan, because you know Dan uh, brought that up off-air about The Undertaker being, you know, personifying this over-the-top characterization. And uh, there are a lot of things in modern wrestling that are more visible than they were before. Obviously, with the invention of the reality star of uh, behind the scenes and so forth, we were lucky to get a signal um, here in Denver, Jones Intercable, which was one of the first in the nation, um, basically you had to see whatever they could afford to put on. But now, I mean, for example, there was a Hulk Hogan reality show. There was, um, was it Wife Swap that had Roddy Roddy Piper on it before he died? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was on it. So was uh, McFoley, actually. Yeah, with yeah, McFoley. Uh, Antonio Sabato Jr. Wow. Yeah, and Ric Flair, I think, was on there with Roddy Piper, maybe. Wow, it's I just might have that mixed up. Complicated. I, I didn't well, watch it. <laughs> interesting things. Unfortunately, I did. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Unfortunately for the podcast, um, and I know that uh, there were other people. I mean, just bridging this, and, and uh, people. I promise we're going to reel this into the the graphic novel. Um, there's a wrestler out there, and I can never remember his name, but he was an MTV reality star on. Was it Road Rules or was it? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, uh, Mike the Miz. 
Yes. Yeah, Mike the Miz Mizanin. Yeah. The guy who had like some weird roid out attacks and anger attacks on the show. Yeah, uh, I don't know how much he might have been playing it up for the I'm TV. just saying that. I don't, um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, the Miz, um, he started out in reality TV, but he, he created that character himself, and he's done very well. And he's still currently uh, yeah. a contender, quote unquote. Yes, he has the tag team belts right now. Is he an aggressive wrestler? Is his, is he a good guy, bad guy? <clears throat> is he a heel or is he? A- he's he's kind of a good guy right now, which is weird because usually when he's tried to be a good guy, it doesn't work because the fans boo him because they just think he's a douche. But I mean, he's been <clears throat> a bad guy most of his career, um, but he's had a great career. He's a good talker, you know. Well, like most reality television, um, you're not picked unless you have a flair for drama. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the formula since the first real world, which I remember when it came out, I was so surprised. I'm like, wow, the, 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 the rare honesty and the rawness of this footage, which, you know, looking back, even in some of the um, recent interviews, they're like, ah, most of this was scripted. I mean, the situations are real, but kind of scripted which is you know a subject for obviously another discussion uh that being said i want to go a little bit back to the novel and the story of andre the giant's youth there are things really interesting anecdotes and you know everyone seems to have the one i mean i mean the most famous anecdote is the fact that he could drink incredible amounts of alcohol yes but before that there were a lot of anecdotes about car flipping and uh Helping people with flat tires and things. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on, on those? Yeah, aspects? just that he could he he could lift cars. <clears throat> if he got angry, he could turn over people ca- people's cars, things like that. He had almost you know superhuman strength. Um, he got upset at a guy in a bar and he flipped over the guy's car. Like there's all these which sort is of, in the novel. It's in the novel, right? Andre the Giant, Life and the Legend. Um, it, there's a lot of sort of. Uh, excuse me, uh, over-the-top stories about him that are legendary. A lot of them are true, though, quite frankly. And drinking-wise, you know, he could have uh, 50 beers sometimes uh, during the day, and then he'd have wine with dinner. He was that type of a guy. He'd have dinner with wine. Yeah. Apparently he (laughs) apparently It was all wine. (laughs) Well, in in a side anecdote, we were talking about uh, the Princess Bride, and he apparently, well, according to Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal... He would start drinking Beaujolais Nouveau by the case as soon as they would have first call on the on the set, and uh, would continue to drink. And I'm not talking about a few beers. Obviously, you've seen pictures when he held a normal sized 1978 Miller Light bottle. You couldn't see the bottle. You could basically yeah. see just the top where he was drinking out of. It was the best I could compare it to. Would be like they have those little like six ounce cokes now or whatever, or like eight ounce cokes. Like if you or I held one of those. That's what it looks like when Andre the Giant hold a reg- hold a reg- would hold a regular beer can or Coke can or whatever because uh, his hands were so huge they could cover up someone's face like a catcher's mitt. Which he did on several occasions. Yes, that was often a request for some reason. <laughs> well, and then, you know, the famous the famous story with uh, Robin Wright on the, the set of uh, Princess Bride where, you know, I, I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but it's, it's, it's really cute and it's an emotional memory for her of when an early morning shoot had uh, everyone was so cold she had a jacket but was still cold and he put his entire hand over her head to keep her warm which is you know it also represents the sweeter side and 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 the more sensitive side of him which you know under the giant the uh, graphic novel is 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 very quick to point out that he was you know a gentle guy a sensitive guy a guy who who didn't necessarily um always get the best receptions from people in airports and restaurants and different things and um you know believe it or not they looked at him more as a freak or or uh, a curiosity than um this hero image that you and i both have because i mean to be honest with you he was one of the most important people on television and art in wrestling magazines in popular entertainment in the 80s when I when I was young uh, full disclosure I was born in 74 so um, by the time you know Wrestlemania happened and everything else uh, my brother and I used to sit there and just uh, we were tormented by the drama we were tormented in Wrestlemania 3 when Andre the Giant turned bad oh yeah we were um, um, on that same and this is in the book can you tell me uh, 
from your memory, I know you're a little bit younger than me, but not you know we're in the same generation. Can you tell me a little bit more about the drama and the pageantry of WrestleMania one and why all of us kids were freaking out and wanted to miss school and were so depressed about what happened and what didn't happen? Uh, well, WrestleMania one was like a big gamble by Vince McMahon. Um, basically, uh, it was at Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and he. Um, Spent all this money and production costs and everything. He got celebrities. He got Billy Martin. He got Liberace. He got Cindy Lauper mm-hmm. um, to do this WrestleMania and make appearances. Muhammad Ali, who wrestled Antonio Nokia at one one point, but um, yeah, it was a big gamble. And like the kind of the idea was that if it was a big flop, then um, it would have kind of uh, sunk his business plan but um it did really well and then from then on you had wrestlemania 2 and 3 is the big one of course in pontiac silverdome in uh detroit michigan where hogan and andre wrestled uh wrestlemania 1 um uh back then a lot of the uh pay-per-view capabilities weren't around yet so a lot of that was actually closed circuit yeah a lot of people actually went to i don't know if you remember brian um back in the day like they would have boxing matches at like a movie theater and stuff like that. Yeah, and recently it kind of had a retro resurgence. Yeah, with uh, Super Bowls and so forth. Right, exactly. So they would do WrestleManias and closed circuit, you know, venues, and they did that in the seventies and stuff like that too with boxing and wrestling. Yeah, but um, eventually, by the time you got to like 87, 88, 89, 89, that's where you got into more. You know, every cable system practically had pay-per-view capabilities. If you had a box back then, you could order the pay-per-view, and they would just zap it right into the box. Your story is hilarious about, um, didn't you convince your mother to to let you purchase one of the wrestling events, and you had to call in and... and oh, yeah. You were um, successful, right? And con- no, um, to- I, I asked her if I could order one year, I think it was Royal Rumble, and <laughs> I ordered it, I tried to order it, but I didn't have a cable box at the time, so... <laughs> so you called her like, what? Yeah, You're going to beam like, it from space? I was like, forget it, you can't get this, because you need, <laughs> they needed a cable box to send the signal. Um, eventually you had DirecTV and stuff like that, where you could just order it with the press of a button. Um, but yeah, at the time I, I was confused about the rules. <laughs> Aren't we all confused about the rules even now? So um, that's WrestleMania one, and I know that that the cool thing about this, and it's documented in the book, um, is that there are these characters that all of us remember. We had uh, action figures, some of us, um, and there was a crossover. So first of all, Mr. T was in WrestleMania one, right? Yeah, that's probably the biggest Which is celebrity. The oddest thing I've said all day. <laughs> the biggest celebrity that I didn't mention, um, Mr. T was uh, he was huge at the time, and because um, that was the A team and coming off of um, Rocky three, in his cartoon, his cartoon, um, his serial, uh, he was like larger than life at the time, and he wrestled. Um, the main event of that WrestleMania, the first one, which Andre the Giant wrestled Big John Stud. In a body slam match, which was really lame, where like the winner got fifteen thousand dollars, and he threw money out in the audience afterwards. Yeah, Bobby Heenan threw the money, or um, Andre threw the money out in the audience, and like Bobby Heenan grabbed the duffel bag of cash and ran away with it. But um, it was kind of a forgettable match. But um, yeah, Mr. T was huge, and he wrestled with Hulk Hogan against uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper. And it was like a huge success. Um, they brought back Mr. T the next year at WrestleMania 2 and did a, a boxing match. I use that term loosely with with Roddy Very Piper. Uh, with Roddy Piper where they worked, uh, which is fake basically. They worked a boxing match and it, it was awful. <laughs> it sucked. Don't even, most boxing matches. That whole, <laughs> that whole show, most of it sucks. Um, uh, and uh, Andre won the Battle Royal that year, which had William the Refrigerator Perry in it and a bunch of uh, football players and stuff, which was cool. That full, was Full which, disclosure, you're from Chicago area. Yeah, Chicago. yeah, absolutely. So he was an icon that you could actually... Uh, go Bears. Go Bears. Uh, go Broncos. Um, so um, back on the subject of Andre the Giant and this entire uh, dramatic thing, uh, you mentioned boxing. There's an interesting fact that Andre the Giant is way into the culture of Rocky, as is Hulk Hogan. Can you briefly tell me the story about how, A, um, Andre the Giant 
ended up wrestling a boxer who was involved, and then Hulk Hogan in the movie was kind of a depiction of the event. Well, um, yes. Uh, so, I, okay, uh, we mentioned Muhammad Ali earlier, and I think I mentioned Antonio Noki, who was a huge star in Japan. And they were going to wrestle um, in Japan, and they sort of um, marketed and produced this event at Shea Stadium where um, they had the closed circuit, and they kind of had, like WrestleMania two actually, um, they had kind of uh, multiple events happening in different locations, kind of like a Live Aid or something almost. Mm-hmm. And they presented it as one um, giant uh, spectacle, basically. And... Um, Muhammad Ali wrestled, um, wrestled slash fought um, Antonio Inoki, and that somehow I think was supposed to be a worked um, match or fight. When when I say worked, that means predetermined, staged, um, and that somehow changed where it was almost like a shoot fight, and they were fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, Antonio Inoki, of course, was afraid of getting hit by Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali didn't want to wrestle with Antonio Noki, so like a lot of it was just Antonio Noki like on his back, like kicking his legs up, which you see sometimes in UFC, and it's usually terrible and boring. Like that was the whole match, so it sucked basically. But also on that same card was Chuck Webner and um, Andre the Giant, and Chuck Webner fought. Um, we have a siren going off here. I don't know if you can Yeah, hear welcome it. to Capitol Hill in downtown Denver. If you've never been here, this is pretty much uh, standard fare. Right. So, yeah, Chuck Webner, though, fought, famously fought um, uh, Muhammad Ali. He went the distance, and that's, sort of, that's kind of supposedly the basis for Rocky, which we could do a whole podcast about that, um, whether the guy was owed money or not by Sylvester Stallone. Um, I'm not sure he is, but... Um, uh, yeah, so basically they decided after that that it would be interesting to have Andre the Giant wrestle Chuck Webner. And he did. And um, He was a tough guy. Chuck Webner, yeah, was a tough dude. He could hold his own. Um, but they kind of threw some shots at each other and then eventually ended in kind of a smosh, which is kind of just a screwball ending in wrestling where I think Chuck Webner was counted out or something and then like a bunch of corner men ran, ran in and stuff. And it just kind of ended like that in a big dust-up. But, um, and then of course Hulk Hogan played Thunderlips in Rocky Three, and that was um, where he wrestled uh, Rocky Balboa in the movie, Sylvester Stallone. And um, he, uh, you know, they had like a match for charity, and that was kind of based off the Chuck Webner, Andre the Giant bout. Well, and the, the, one of the more um, dramatic things in the um, Andre the Giant match is that he actually throws him out of the ring and in Rocky yeah. um, Hulk Hogan throws Sylvester Stallone out of right. the ring and there was a, an Adrian Catch Me line which is just classic in it. <laughs> uh, so that, that's kind of uh, the way that Andre the Giant was was integral in, in a lot of these uh, very 80s uh, pop phenomena. Uh, on that same note from the 80s and you know, I, I kind of informally promised that we wouldn't talk about this but um, Hulk Hogan's cartoon. Yeah, it's yeah. It, he was so popular um, in the '80s that there was a cartoon called Hulk Hogan's Rock and Roll Wrestling. Um, <laughs> More needs to be said about <laughs> the title. <laughs> there was live cut-ins by like Mean Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan that were very funny, but the actual animation and the whatever sucks. Um, the wrestlers didn't actually do the voices. Um, I the, wondered about that because yeah. I watched it on um, on YouTube, and I'm like, that kind of sounds like Hulk Hogan. It kind of sounds like Andre the Giant. Are you sure that none of them were the actual, even Junkyard Dog? <laughs> um, no. Uh, the voice of Hulk Hogan was done by, um, I can't think of the name, the guy's name from uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. The brother? or Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's a rough way to start Robert. your career. He played Robert. Oh, okay. Game. But yeah, he did the voice of... He was like a stand-up in the 80s, and he did a, he did the voice of Hulk Hogan in that cartoon, believe it or not. Wow. But Andre the Giant was in it, too, to tie it back into the um, comic book and the story and the podcast, but it's not very good. 
<laughs> you know, and, and I I can say that you know I was I think I was ten when it came out, so it was pretty much part of the uh, the cast of, of characters on on Saturday morning. So that and Muppet Babies and and you know things like that. I'm really embarrassing myself. Uh, so you know we covered a little bit of how that tied in with uh, Rocky. Now, one of the things that I do want to ask you about um, his career after that is. Andre the Giant, like we had mentioned briefly before, was in WrestleMania 3, and he had turned into kind of the bad character. Now, he traveled everywhere. He probably, I would probably say that Andre the Giant may have wrestled more matches than anyone of his generation. I mean, it's hard to say, but he's definitely been to more countries wrestling. Maybe. I mean, there's there's some there's some definite road warriors from that time. Um, like Dusty Rhodes, uh, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Ric Flair, they were literally all over the place doing matches in Japan and any anywhere else they can get booked. And especially before um, uh, Vince really took over, that's where you had more of the kind of. Na- uh, usually they would run the United States, they would run Canada, but then a couple times a year they would they would run maybe Japan or like Europe or something like that. Um, but no, he, you're right. He wrestled all over the place, and he wrestled for I don't know twenty years at least. So he wrestled really for almost more about twenty five years, I would say. But he wrestled a ton of matches for sure. Yeah, and he's he's actually um, listed in. Uh in the records as being undefeated from 1973 to 1987, which, you know, obviously that's... Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's really accurate, but also he's supposedly wasn't slammed until um, WrestleMania 3, but it's not true. If you go on YouTube, you can find a video of being of him being slammed by, you know, 10 times by 10 different wrestlers throughout the 70s and 80s, so... Um, so, folks, don't, don't go to YouTube and... Um, Search slammed 1970s, 1980s. You probably won't find what you're looking for. Um, but you know, with that point, WrestleMania three. Um, talk a little bit about. Uh, well, first of all, people don't know when we say heel. Talk about what a heel is, and talk about how sometimes wrestlers will flip flop between yeah, uh, good and bad, so a, to speak. A heel is a um, a bad guy. Um, a face or a baby face is a good guy, right? So. This is great. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that. If any wrestling fan will know that, um, when I started watching wrestling, I didn't really know what those terms meant. But as, as I got older, I got more interested in the backstage uh, uh, shenanigans, shenanigans, and the terms and everything. Um, so, yeah. But basically, guys, guys turn. Uh, you know, when the fans are sick of them, then they. Most famously, Hulk Hogan in the 90s uh, became a bad guy, and that's when they started, if you remember, like the NWO. Yeah, and they changed yeah. the color of his bandana yeah. and boy shirt. By the way, he made millions off that. So oh, that's not that's not <laughs> He's a smart dude, but I mean, um, yeah, basically, um, you know, turns uh, or um, swerves happen and in the ring or outside of the ring, and then they, the wrestlers start hating the fans where they used to love them and then eventually they love them again um in a case of like there's a wrestler the big show who we mentioned before he's turned so many goddamn times it's not even funny uh he's a he's a good guy for three weeks and then he's a bad guy for two months and then he's a good guy again for three weeks it's like an ongoing joke in wrestling but andre was a for the most part, other than wrestling in Japan as a heel for a little bit, he was mostly a babyface through most of his career. So that was why it was such a big deal in the 80s when he wrestled, um, which is in the comic book, which is when he aligned with uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, who was a great wrestling heel manager. Um, and that's what set up that whole program and everything. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of these terms, um, I mean, you can tell they're antiquated. They're, they're a bit like... Uh, um, you know, you're watching old movies. You've got the heel. You got the baby face. I mean, it's it sounds a little bit like uh, uh, like a 1920s uh, movie or something. That guy's a heel. Yeah, that guy's a heel. He's a baby face. He's a baby face. <laughs> well, he's both. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna take a, a brief pause, and we'll be back in a moment. We're back with Dan Stack, and we're speaking today on the podcast about Andre the Giant: Life and Legend by Box Brown. 
Yeah, and Brian, I was curious. You know, you're a great artist, uh, Rotoro Comics. Um, what did you think of the artwork and the drawings in this book? And uh, what did you like or not like about it? You know, to be honest with you, um, I loved it. I love clean, um, crisp drawing styles. Uh, this has amazing contrast. Uh, the blacks are black. The the shades are done uh, very well. It looks like you know someone went back over. Uh, I'm not sure. And, and and box if you're out there, correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like people went back and did some shading um, with a computer program, which is you know I work only digitally. Uh, I admire this book because it was a crossover. Uh, when it came out, it was pretty unheard of for people in something like uh, professional wrestling and in, in other professional sports to really pay attention to a graphic novel. It humanized the character. It uh, kept your attention uh, with the drawings. One of the things I find when I'm, I'm reading graphic novels is if the amount of text is kind of not in balance with the drawings, you tend to just rush through the text to get through the page and you neglect the most important part of the page, which is the drawing, the, um, the storyline. Uh, the pacing's good. The um, the story provides enough uh, anecdotal uh, parts that uh, it was really interesting. And you know that's why, in part, I wanted to speak to you about this because you are obviously a wrestling fan. I was a wrestling fan, and and still I do enjoy it, but uh, I don't remember as much as as you do. But it seems to be kind of the perfect fit. And you love comics. You. Um, you read them. Uh, you and I have had quite a few discussions about them. You know, some of my major influences are uh, Craig Thompson, um, Hernandez Brothers, which I had the pleasure to meet and hang out with a little bit. Um, different people in 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 the business that uh, just really do a great job. So in this case, Box Brown did an amazing job telling the story. Um, and to be honest with you, I mean, if you want to see the documentary, that's great. But pretty much all the information is in. The graphic novel. I may be biased, but I do love um, the alternative of, of having the graphic novel. Even like games, of, uh, Game of Thrones. I love that. I think they're novel. great to to <clears throat> read this book. Um, it's a pretty easy read, and you'll knock it out and enjoy it and enjoy some great artwork. But I think they'll also watch the documentary too. I think it's a great combo. Excellent. So I want to get back a little bit to um, let's talk about Andre the Giant post. Princess Bride, when he was kind of, well, basically, he was unable to wrestle. Well, what, let's talk about Princess Bride real quick since Absolutely. you brought it up. Um, what did you think of him in the movie? Because I think he was pretty good. I think he was really good. Yeah. I, I think he he did really a lot good. of acting. Um, uh, other than that, he did like the $6 million man where he dressed up like a Sasquatch, which is crazy. That's but he awesome. did a couple other movies. He did a Honeycombs commercial where they dubbed over his voice. Which is hilarious. You wait, can... wait, 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 wait. Yes. <laughs> here, here, here is the, the, the stack uh, uh, tidbits and, and, and uh, beautiful uh, trivia. So he did a honeycomb commercial. And for those folks out there that don't remember honeycombs, I, I think it's, it's, it's not currently a cereal in the market, right? What? Honeycombs. I thought it was still around. Oh, maybe I haven't just thought about honeycombs for a while. Uh, Honeycomb's big, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, not small. No, no, no. no. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so uh, Honeycomb's is an awesome cereal. I hope it's still around. Yeah, but but there's a, there's a lot of garbage that I think we've eaten as kids, and we probably shouldn't anymore. Honeycomb's being probably. Bad. I I bet there was good stuff in there for you. There's probably some some grains and stuff that were good for you. I'm assuming. Or as, some protein. As I don't know. Jerry Seinfeld said, the riboflavin. And the um, niacin. Yep. Well, it, and you know, we could talk about this in Cookie Crisp and the, the Cookie Crisp burger. We, we could do a whole separate podcast on wrestlers and cereals. <laughs> I'm sure we've lost them already. Because <laughs> there has point. been like WWF, WWF cereals, and there's Bootios now. With um, uh, there's a wrestling group called the New Day. Um, three uh, very talented African American gentlemen: Kofi Kingston, uh, Xavier Woods, and uh, Biggie. And they're hilarious, but they have a cereal called Bootios, and they like throw them out to the crowd and stuff, and it's great. 
wow. Yeah. I I had no idea. So just briefly, because it's really uh, tickling me right now, uh, this commercial was for honeycombs, and there is a honeycomb hideout. Did this actually happen in the honeycomb hideout? And for millennials out there that don't remember this? Yeah, like it's um, the millennials that, that don't remember it, um, you can watch it on YouTube. So Pretty much it's up on YouTube. Okay, so basically um, there was a, um, a monster that wanted honeycombs, correct? Yes, and the, he's like shaking, like the kids are inside a tree, and he's like shaking the tree. And he's like, let me in, I want honeycombs. And it, it really does sound that bad. They didn't use his real voice, which was awesome, by the way, but I guess they didn't want his thick uh, French accent and his marble mouth in the commercial, so they didn't use it. Sounds terrifying. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the eighties. Times were different. <laughs> Times were sure different. Um, so we were talking about Princess Bride, and uh, I love the fact that his character. You know, to be honest with you, it was a little bit like his wrestling career. He was uh, a good guy at times. He was a bad guy at times. But he had a heart of gold, and uh, he ended up being one of those characters that you just well. And then the Mandy Patinkin character, where well, you know that. Please don't do that line. Uh, I won't, but I, I will. I will. I will blow your mind with this. All right, I'm ready. Wallace Shawn was in that movie. The very sa- famous scene with the wine, you know, inconceivable. Yes. Uh, and he was also in the movie, My Dinner with Andre. How about that? Wow. <laughs> you, you Which did. is not about Andre the Giant, but it ties in. To be honest with you, I, I didn't even think of that, but you're correct. And he also played uh, Cliff Huxtable's neighbor on The Cosby Show. Are we going to go down The Cosby Show route right now? <laughs> I like to separate things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, going from Cosby Show back to uh, uh, Andre the Giant. So what we were talking about a little bit, and then we got into uh, Princess Bride, is that was an introduction to uh, basically people who didn't know wrestling. They're like, who is this guy? Um Kind of in- increased his fame at that at that point. From there, now correct me if I'm wrong. He still wrestled for several years after he was apparently quite injured and not well during the filming of The Princess Bride. Right. Um, that was probably around the time of WrestleMania three, which I don't think we've really talked about at length. Um, if you want to talk about that, that's where he wrestled Hulk Hogan and got body slammed by Hulk Hogan and. That match was for the title, which Hogan won. And uh, if you listen to Hogan's version of the story, um, Andre didn't want to do business and was going to, you know, kick out of the leg drop or whatever. Which So translate those two statements. So Andre was going, wasn't going to co- cooperate with the plan finish the match, basically. It's a predetermined outcome. Hulk Hogan is going to pin Andre the Giant 1-2-3, you know, 93,000 people. At the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit, which was actually um, actually Pontiac, Michigan. I think I keep saying Detroit, but um, actually it's seventy eight thousand, according to who you believe. <laughs> More of those factoids. Uh, but Hogan would would tell you the story that Andre wasn't going to cooperate. He was going to whatever uh, get. He was going to shoot. He was going to get physical during the match. But that's total BS. Total bullshit. He. Um, it was everything was went as planned, as far as I know, and as far as I've heard. So um, Hulk Hogan likes to embellish things. As great as he is, the greatest wrestler of all time, still feels like he needs to embellish things. Well, I I think if you have spent your entire career um, depleting the ozone with your spray tan and um, becoming this cultural icon of of he's a little self absorbed, but you know we loved him. I I can remember when he was being pinned. Was that WrestleMania? When Six. he stuck his finger in the air, and everybody's like, "He's still alive." Yeah, and then he did that all the time. Yeah, and the American flag, and yeah, and was it "Living in America" was from Rocky, but what was his theme song? What was Hulk Hogan's theme song? Uh, "Real American." Real American. Do you yeah. want to do you want to sing song for me? Now? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it's like I am a real American. Okay, that's enough. Right. <laughs> so, um, pretty much, Andre the Giant as a graphic novel is something that I would suggest that you check out even if you don't like graphic novels it, it is a quality read and the reviews all over the cover is uh, 
testament to it. There are people from Princess Bride. There are people from uh, wrestling. the wrestling world. Uh, check it out. Please go to RotoroComic.com to see what I'm up to on my graphic novel. Also, Dan, you are going to be starting a podcast. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Once I come up with a good idea, uh, check me out on Twitter, at NewStackCity. That's all one word. Excellent. And I'll let you know what happens. Very good. Well, thanks. Brian has a great idea, but I'm I'm still working on it, so we'll see. That's not a great idea. I don't have many of those lately. Uh, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you, Mr. Dan Stack. I hope once your thank podcast you. is up and running, I can be a guest on your show. Yes, and if I can mention something before I go, um, Andre the Giant, great wrestler, great story. Um, wrestling today is still very great, and I want—I just wanted to mention um, the women wrestlers now are amazing. That's something that's changed from the last... Uh, 30 years and um, like Triple H and um, uh, mostly Triple H uh, have really pushed women into the foreground so like women wrestling is almost as as popular as men's wrestling now it really is and uh, the main event of Wrestlemania this year is probably going to be Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch so I mean that's like a huge thing for women in wrestling so I just wanted to mention that like I think it's awesome and they're entertaining as hell and like I think it's going in a really cool place. If you haven't watched wrestling in a while, check it out. Check out WrestleMania this year. You can watch it for free on the WWE Network. Um, they have a month free or whatever, kind of like Netflix. So it's really cool. It's really going in some cool places. I just want to say that. Yeah, and and uh, kind of a, a a side note with that before we go, uh, check out Glow. The show. Yeah, on yeah. Netflix. Check out Glow. Um, check out some of the. Um, very cool archived clips of the original um, Glow Wrestling show, which was hilarious. There's a documentary about that. Um, I think on Netflix, sp- correct? I think it's on Netflix, yeah. That's really good about Glow. Um, and there's uh, there's some cool uh, wrestling documentaries. But definitely check out the um, Andre the Giant one on HBO. It's great. Excellent. And uh, not to kind of be cliche, but check out the wrestler the movie. Mm-hmm. That in itself is, I would say it's probably from what I've read and heard in interviews, the closest representation to what it's like being one of these semi-pro professional wrestlers. And just the damage of, of, of doing this night after night, the traveling, the uh, sacrifice of family and relationships. Uh, so definitely check that out. Absolutely. So I'm going to wrap up here uh, with our special Saturday edition with Daniel Stack. Uh, Please join me on Wednesday at 8 p.m. for the next episode of Robot Love. And thanks to my friends and family that support me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Drop me a line. Uh, I'd love to have people as guests who have something interesting to say, uh, you know, typically about graphic novels and comics. But as you can tell today, it was mostly about wrestling. Um, But thanks again. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to Robot Love Podcast. Remember to check out Brian's comic, Rotoro, at rotorocomic.com.